We actually completed a pretty broad study looking across at least 25 of the top kind of pharma companies and we looked at the commercial excellence organization or, or the organization that was closest to that and we looked at how it had evolved what we're seeing now actually is those lines blurring for a start the global organization has become much larger and we're also seeing a lot more execution at a global level Sometimes that's to realize benefits of efficiency and standardization. So you can imagine executing something like incentive compensation rather than doing it once across 20 countries, you do it once at a global level and it can be more efficiently executed. But we're also seeing more execution at a global level to drive more effectiveness, i.e. taking a process that we used to do locally and actually doing it better. Welcome and thank you for joining us on this episode of the Inside Global Pharma podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Curtis. So doing more with less has been the theme of the pharma industry over the past couple of years. In the past episodes, we've talked about this wider trend that's forcing companies to cut back on costs, reevaluate how they're investing given the upcoming patent cliffs, pricing pressures, and limited blockbuster potential for future launches. Today, we're building on that theme and looking at how Global commercial excellence is one of the ways that organizations can transform to become more efficient in both launching and maximizing revenue potential at scale. So joining me for today's discussion is David Jackson, leader in the ZS Associates Global Strategy and Transformation Practice. So David, hello, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Jen. Great to be here. I'm a big fan of uh, podcasts, so this is really exciting for me. Pleased to join you today. Oh, great. We're excited to chat with you. You know, before we jump into the discussion, can you give a brief introduction on your role and experience within the practice area? Sure, yeah. So I have a few roles in ZS generally. So I lead one of our global client teams and also the London office. But in terms of my time spent within the global strategy and transformation practice, I really focus on a couple of key questions. One is this global local operating models that many of our clients are looking to define and establish at the moment. And the second is global commercial excellence. So that's this function that we're going to talk about today, which is really about powering and supporting the organization to turn data into insights, into decisions and drive the organization forward to achieve their commercial goals. Yeah, and I think it's exactly that topic that really intersects nicely with a lot of the conversations that you know we've been having, clients have been having around launch excellence. So as you know, excellence is something that we spend a lot of time thinking about, and I've looked at it more from the launch excellence perspective and trying to answer this question of you know, how can companies consistently excel in launching at scale across global markets? And so within that, what are the capabilities, skills, technology data required to enable that? And you've been looking at a similar question from the perspective of commercial excellence, which is closely intertwined. Um, can you share a bit more about how you're defining commercial excellence and why you see this as such a hot topic in the industry? Yeah, so firstly, commercial excellence is definitely not the name that's used in all organizations. It's a pretty common name, but it's not the only name for the group that we're talking about today. Sometimes we see groups called commercial operations, sometimes kind of commercial effectiveness. So the, the group can go by a few different names. 
We actually really like the name excellence, not just because of the obvious connotations of the word linguistically, but also I think rather than you know, calling a root kind of commercial operations or commercial effectiveness, for me, excellence is this idea about really stretching from strategy into operations and implementation. And it's the group that's really responsible for that pull through. So for me, I think excellence really implies that breadth. So in some many organizations, this group might help be defining a go-to-market strategy. So what are the roles that we need? How many in each role? You know, really, how do we take a product to market? But then also responsible for the infrastructure to support that organization in terms of ongoing operations and really equipping those teams to be successful in front of the customers. So that's why I like the phrase commercial excellence. But one phrase that we use in, in one of the reports I've written about this is describing this group as the engine behind commercial success. In terms of why this group is so important now, it's back to one of the ideas that I know you've talked about before in these podcasts of doing more with less. So many organizations are not increasing the size of their customer-facing teams at the moment. Many organizations are, though, looking to increase the breadth of channels that they're using to reach customers. And most organizations also have an increasingly divergent and specialized portfolio. So you've almost got this perfect storm of needing to compete better with the same or perhaps even less resources using more channels and, and more therapy areas. And so the group that's gonna help you make sense of all of that complexity is commercial excellence. It's a great point, right? Cause when we talk about this whole doing more with less it's usually how do we lower costs and or how do we engage new business models of which your point, how do we look to digital for example and, and lean on that more? And this is one of the questions that we get asked so often in launch but to your point, it, the ability to do that is really based on has the company invested sufficiently to build the infrastructure to be able to gather the right kind of insights to then inform decision-making and make changes. So how are you thinking about this as a wider capability and this mindset and discipline that an organization needs to have to develop it? It was clear to us that the group was important, but what wasn't so clear to us is really what good looked like and how different organizations were structuring and defining their commercial excellence functions. So we actually completed a pretty broad study looking across at least 25 of the top kind of pharma companies and we looked at the commercial excellence organization or, or the organization that was closest to that and we looked at how it had evolved over the past years and where it was at the moment and we saw a few different trends structurally in terms of how this group had evolved. One of the trends that we'd seen probably in the past five years or so was moving outside of the country reporting line. So what I mean by that is historically often this group had reported into the GM of a country. So you might have the GM of the US with a commercial excellence director reporting into them. Actually, what we see now in at least half of the top 20 pharma companies, they've pivoted to having global commercial excellence actually standing separately from the business, sometimes reporting into a CFO, sometimes even reporting into a CIO or a CMO. And the reason that they've been doing that is to ensure that this group can be more impartial and even act as a little bit of a challenger for the business. So if I'm not reporting into the GM, it kind of equips me, gives me permission sometimes to actually tell the GM of, well, actually, this is how I think you should be approaching the market or this is how you should be running operations. So that was that's one kind of more structural trend that we've seen. Another trend that we've seen, again, structurally, is a, a pivoting of resources from local to global level and actually more execution happening at a global level. 
So again, historically, if we go back kind of five, 10 years, what we would have seen typically in most organizations is a very small global layer and relatively larger local groups and all of the, maybe some of the strategy happening at global level. So in terms of how we go to market, how we approach our kind of customers, but all of the kind of the execution and the pull through happening at, at local levels. I'm talking about things like incentive compensation and digital as, as, as it was then kind of analytics, all of that happening at a local level. What we're seeing now actually is those lines blurring. For a start, the global organization has become much larger. And we're also seeing a lot more execution at a global level. Sometimes that's to realize benefits of efficiency and standardization. So you can imagine executing something like incentive compensation rather than doing it across 20 countries. You do it once at a global level and it can be more efficiently executed. But we're also seeing more execution at a global level to drive more effectiveness, i.e. taking a process that we used to do locally and actually doing it better and creating more of an expertise center. So I know one organization we looked at had taken something like Marketing Mix and they built tools and a strong process and they built that all at global level and then provided it to end customers. Could even be the business directly and getting them to then execute and be accountable for executing their Marketing Mix processes kind of locally. So again, this blurring of strategy and, and execution is one thing that we've seen kind of increase. And as I said, more execution happening at a global level. And the third trend that we saw was really a broadening of scope. Again, looking back 10 years, the remit of most commercial excellence organizations was pretty similar. They did some outsource effectiveness. They may have had an account management kind of program. As we look at the top 25 organizations now, actually the remits are even broader. And in some places, they can be even more different. So digital transformation, digital channel setup, kind of omni-channel typically is falling within the, the scope of commercial excellence. Now, field training sometimes can be part of the commercial excellence remit. Uh, we've seen that in four of the top 20 pharma organizations. Meetings and events. So this process to compliantly plan and execute the many-to-many -many interactions is another service line that is starting to appear within the, the scope of commercial excellence. Data strategy, data management, voice of customer programs, these are, again, other service lines that are starting to fit within the scope of commercial excellence. So, again, it's really harder to put an, a precise ring around the scope of commercial excellence these days. It's some um, really, really interesting trends that you're seeing. And how consistent is this? You mentioned you had done this across the industry. You know, are you seeing this separate part of the business for global commercial excellence happening consistently? And does that also happen when you see this shift from local to global? Or is there a bit of variability, something else that's kind of guiding the trade-off decisions that are made across these three trends with companies? Yeah, I think that the macro trends are happening everywhere. There's this, as I mentioned, the shift from local to regional global, that's happening everywhere. The increase in resources at global level and the increasing execution at a global level, those trends are kind of happening everywhere. The way it's happening, though, in the exact service lines that fall into the scope, that's where we see some kind of variation. So it's becoming broader. I think there's a trend that it's definitely kind of becoming broader, but exactly which are the important levers to fall within the scope of commercial excellence? That tends to be varying from organization to organization, depending on the portfolio, depending on you know what are the levers that the business really needs to, to pull at the moment. So one of the things that we often try and figure out is how do you move away from a checkbox list of process that you do and using that to guide decision making versus being able to diagnose what are the capabilities that we're going to need given our portfolio of launches? I would imagine it's a similar kind of process within commercial excellence, but I don't know, I'm curious to hear more. How do you approach that? Yeah, I think you're right. I think the process is 
pretty similar. And I think the groups that have done this really well have really taken inspiration from the organizational priorities and sometimes called the North Stars that exist. Then they've kind of broken them down a level in terms of, okay, if we as an organization are heading in this way, what is it that we really need to be world-class at? You know, not every single organization needs to be world-class in terms of their ability to turn unstructured data into insights. Maybe it's okay if we're good enough at that, but maybe we really need to be, in the case of oncology, say, maybe we need to be world-class in terms of our ability to run effective management kind of process. And so I think the organizations that have done a good job of this have taken those organizational priorities and really translated them into a set of capabilities that they need to be world-class at. But I think it also reminds me of a challenge that many of these groups are facing as well. And it's this balance between innovation and operation in that by nature sometimes what the group needs to do is to operate something that exists and keep turning the handles and keep making sure that we're delivering something month after month or cycle after cycle but sometimes the group also needs to innovate as well in that we're entering into a new therapy area and maybe we need to find a new way of delivering kind of value to customers and so actually trying to balance both of those we almost call it a sprint and a marathon mode at the same time is a big challenge that many of these groups are facing. I can imagine that is a core challenge, right? Very ambitious goals, but there's so much of just the business as usual that needs to happen. So what kind of guidance or advice do you give to companies that are struggling with that trade-off between where we need to be in the short term versus long term? Some groups have actually created dedicated roles for this kind of innovation so that they keep some team members more focused on the, you know, kind of the ongoing operations and others focused on, on innovation. That's an interesting one because everyone would like a job title that has kind of innovation in the title. And so it can create a little bit of a, a two-tier approach within the team. At the same time, and, and I'm sure some of the psychologists in ZS who have studied this know more than I do, but from what I understand, innovating versus operating actually come from two very different parts of the brain. And so it's actually very difficult to do both at the same time. So this idea of creating kind of dedicated roles, one, two, is really going to keep one eye on what's next and where we need to innovate and where we need to kind of invent is one approach. Other approaches, as I said, is just to separate them in terms of time. So even having a, you know, once every kind of six months, you know, taking the team, you know, out of the day-to-day for a while, you know, really having a look at what are some of the trends we're seeing, what's next, and really just having that time to reset and make sure that some bandwidth that's spent on, you know, what's coming kind of down the track so that we don't get so stuck in the kind of the day-to-day. So those are two approaches that we've seen either having different roles or even if you can't create the different roles, but certainly kind of creating those opportunities to look at tasks future trends and new experiments and new innovations that you need to deliver. So to the point that you made around, you know, innovating and operating and you needing both of those within a commercial excellence function, what does it look like in the context of being world-class? You talked about this and, you know, the melding of the two. How would you define being world-class? That's a good question. I don't think it's one thing, or at least it's not the same thing for each organization. And I think the most important thing is based on your strategic priorities as a business is to have that alignment and that pull through and that consistency in terms of how you're supporting the business 
achieve their commercial goals. So let's, I don't know, let, let's think about kind of oncology as, as an example. So when it comes to, if you're a company that's very heavy in terms of oncology, what is it that you're going to need to be world-class at? Well, uh, we all know how competitive oncology is there. It's about execution. It's about that cross-functional way of working. Account management also is, is super important. If you're a company that's in rare diseases though, execution, yes, is, is important, but it's okay if you're not world-class at execution. So there you're looking at capabilities such as uh, patient finding, potentially even advanced analytics can become kind of even more important. So I don't think world-class is one thing. I think it's about that alignment and that consistency around the core set of capabilities that are going to support your business objectives. We talked about challenges a, a little bit when we talked about innovating versus operating. What are the other kind of challenges that often come up? Yeah, there's a few. I think one, again, that we've touched on today is maybe this idea of finding the purpose. You know, it's very easy if your business has done a great job of identifying the capabilities that they need to be great or they need to be world-class at. But what do you do when your portfolio is, is diverse? What do you do when you're supporting an oncology BU and a, a primary care BU? And actually, you know, you need to, to think about the potential kind of trade-offs there. So that's the challenge, so supporting uh, broader BUs. Another challenge that we see is, is this idea of being truly global and you know how deep do we go in terms of supporting some of the smaller affiliates. So one global commercial excellence organization that we know well really produced a pretty detailed service catalog that outlined exactly what kind of support they were going to provide to specific countries and based on whether you were a tier one country or a tier two country, now, there was almost a kind of, uh, yeah, you get this support if you're tier one and if you're tier two, then you get kind of this kind of support. So they were very explicit about what they would be able to, to provide to kind of to each affiliates. Other organizations have, for instance, had dedicated personnel within the global team who's responsible specifically for the dissemination of products and solutions from the global commercial excellence team to, to smaller countries. So there are different ways of addressing it, but definitely how you do this truly globally is another challenge that uh, many organizations are, are wrestling with. So, you know, with the challenges that we've talked about, there are obviously some clear advantages to commercial excellence. Thinking about, you know, the challenges that companies are facing and the interest in this as a way to compete in this more with less environment we find ourselves with, what are some pieces of advice or recommendations that you would make to a company that's struggling to really find their purpose and figure out how best to evolve their commercial excellence function? I guess the way I'd summarize it is, I mean, even without looking at a portfolio level, when we think about our clients, there's maybe two big themes that dominate. There's organizations that are looking to do more with less. There's organizations that are looking to you know, address the shortfall that they're seeing in terms of their revenue and their, their portfolio in the coming years. There's other organizations that are looking to innovate and, and rethink new business models and, and approach the market in, in new ways, whether it's value-driven, patient-driven, digital, whatever the case may be. Whichever of those two levers is, is most important in your organization, whether it's about, you know, finding some efficiencies, whether it's about kind of innovating, you know, back to this idea of kind of innovation or operation, the commercial excellence organization, the commercial excellence function is going to be critical to achieving either of those things. And so despite reductions in some face-to-face -face roles, we're generally seeing increases in headcounts and increases in budget for the commercial excellence organization. So many businesses are realizing that the commercial excellence organization can be a source of, of differentiated value and can really help them 
advance the organization in either of these kind of two directions. So I'd say think about really your critical business priorities. Think about the commercial excellence organization that you have at the moment, how it's organized, the service lines it's responsible for, and how equipped it is to helping you address your business priorities going forward. I think finding that purpose, identifying what you need to be world-class at is a really kind of great start, but it is only a start. So, you know, we've talked about the challenges, but also the opportunities that exist. It sounds like, and from everything that I've been seeing as well, it's like, this is a source of innovation. Being able to do commercial excellence well will have a huge impact on all aspects from, you know, launch success to revenue maximization of of inline brands and, and everything in between. So when you're thinking about companies and you're advising with them, what kind of pieces of advice would you give them as they think about how to evolve commercial excellence in their context? Yeah, well, even stepping away from some of the individual needs of different business units or kind of therapy areas, when we look at what most pharma companies are looking to achieve in the next five years, it's probably one of two things. There are some organizations that are looking at shortfalls in terms of portfolio. They're looking at maximizing revenues, reducing costs. And so they're really looking towards that efficiency, that idea of doing more with less. There are other companies that are looking at new business models, whether that's patient-centric business models, whether it's value-based kind of business models, whether it's kind of digital, not just as an omni-channel, but digital as a business model. So there are some organizations that are looking at fundamentally changing the pharma business model. Whichever of those two drivers your business is looking at, the commercial excellence function is going to be key to driving it forward. So commercial excellence is a source of of competitive value. At a time when we see reductions in some face-to-face roles, we're actually seeing increases in both budget and resources for commercial excellence functions. So it's definitely a time to be investing in, in commercial excellence. I would say to wrap up three things, make sure that your commercial excellence function has the right mandate. Do they have the right mandate really in order to succeed and to drive the business forward? Do they have this right structure? We talked earlier about this idea of kind of global to local and the right kind of balance there. Do they have the right kind of structure, whether it's to drive efficiencies or effectiveness? Do they have the right structure and able to do that? And do they have the right resources? Do they have the right resources, the number of people? Also, a lot of organizations are looking towards things like in-house centers, partnerships with external organizations as well. So do they really have the right resources to help drive the business forward in the next year? So those maybe three simple ideas, mandate, structure, and resources is probably a good way to reflect on commercial excellence functions uh, going forward. Well, I think we covered a lot of ground with that, David, and I think the takeaway of think about mandate, structure, and resources is something that can stick as we wrap up the discussion. Thank you very much for making the time to chat with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really enjoyed the conversation. So we covered a lot of ground in this episode. We talked about why pharmaceutical companies are focusing on doing more with less and looking to leaner models that embed systemic excellence in this transformation. We also discussed the link between launch excellence and wider commercial excellence, particularly at a global level, and explored potential models and trends to embed commercial excellence and considerations and drivers for each. If you're interested in learning more about this topic or the research discussed, you can find more on cs.com. That's it for this edition of the ZS Associates Inside Global Pharma podcast. Thank you for listening.